all in all, finding the mind-blowing moments in the everyday chaos storm of life. Thanks for coming back to All in All. Today I'm talking with Ewan Nguyen, who is a part owner and founder of the restaurant New. Ewan also provided a tremendous amount of mutual aid to protesters during the Black Lives Matter encampment in Capitol Hill here in Seattle, as well as providing masks to healthcare workers and lots of meals to healthcare workers during COVID. So welcome, Ewan. I'm glad to have you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Good. I'm so glad you said yes. <laughs> so tell me about the first time in your life you remember feeling like a real sense of wonder or awe. Yeah. So, you know, I was born right when the Vietnam War ended. And so essentially, like, we were really, really poor and broke and I, I didn't really get to go anywhere. And so uh, the first time I ever get to fly was uh, when I um, uh, came from the Filipino um, refugee, well, refugee camp in the Philippines to the United States. And as we were landing in uh, Palm Spring uh, Airport, I just looked out the window and it's just all these lights you know and to oh. to look on and just to be able to see the world that that was the highest <laughs> uh, sort of purview i've ever gotten you know and to be to see all those lights i don't know i it, it stuck with me and i yeah. just remember thinking how beautiful like the planet was and just life and 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 the scenery i've never seen that many lights you know from above before so it was so inspiring that is it is so amazing to look down when you fly at night and to see sort of the grids of lights and the you can really tell where the neighborhood hubs are it is really neat uh, and how old were you oh sorry go ahead i was 11. So I was very young and that was my first experience to fly and then, you know, to be able to to see that and to wonder about all the lives and, you know, what people were doing down there. Yeah, so you yeah. flew from the Philippines all the way to Palm Springs and then I imagine there was some culture shock. Uh, it was a bit of a culture shock because as a Vietnamese, um, you know, one, Vietnam is a very tropical country and then mm -hmm. even refugee camp in the Philippines, Vietnam, uh, Philippines is also very tropical. And for uh, us coming from Vietnam and especially during that period, you know, America is very much paradise to us. A place with like, you know, lots of trees and beautiful homes and all that. And so my first morning waking up in, um, it was uh, La Quinta, actually, where um, my uh, first home in America was. And so I opened the door and the culture shock was that I didn't see any tree. I saw tumbleweeds because it's the desert, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, it was beautiful in its own different way. Sure. In my, my perspective, I was like, okay, I guess America is very big and <laughs> Where are the grassy lawns of the suburbs and the trees? And yeah, 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 and you're in this very dry, arid, yeah, environment. Yeah, hot. There are maybe several palm trees and then mainly tumbleweeds and just. Oh, that's so funny. That is so funny. So, you were you in La Quinta, California for a long time after that? 
No, not that long. My um, foster parent, who was also my uncle and uh, his wife, they they lived down there uh, for work. But then after ninth grade, uh, after my ninth grade, they moved to Mobile, Alabama. So oh I gosh, to... another big culture shock. You went yeah. from. <laughs> At least Mobile has a lot of trees. <laughs> the That's weather true. Or, uh, you know, humid and so on. So it felt very much like Vietnam in that sense. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Heavy humidity. Yeah. Right. Were there other people from Vietnam in Mobile at that point? Uh, there were some uh, Vietnamese in, in that area. But, you know, in La Quinta, it was really my family that was um, my uncle and uncle. And uh, me and my brother were really the, the Vietnamese folks. It was a huge culture shock in that sense because I didn't really speak English at that point. And then to just even ask for the bathroom. You know? So did you just, I mean, you moved and they put you in public school and you just had to figure it out? Or, I mean, did they have like a resettlement program to help you learn English or anything? Uh, you mean in, uh, in La Quinta? Uh, yeah, in La Quinta. Not, not that I recall, you know, but um, I think it was fine because as children, we learn really fast. Like I went to fifth grade and then by sixth grade, you know, I got straight A's already and wow. I all the English that I need to, to, to even skip a grade. So I skipped a grade to eighth grade. And so, wow. and children are so resilient. You know, I was like a sponge. I mean, I absorb everything really, really quickly. So it wasn't an issue to, for for integration. I think it's more the adults that really needed, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then were there things about Mobile that really, really blew your mind that were really surprising and, and cool um, once you did move? Mobile, um not really <laughs> yeah 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 there were trees that's good yeah <laughs> you know uh, mobile is a lot more segregated to come from um a place in california i mean i was definitely the only vietnamese in the school but i um i just didn't feel that sense of segregation when i first came to the, the states and uh yeah. and you know in california so <laughs> It seems like food is a big part of your life. You've, you've created this really beautiful restaurant where you bring together a lot of different food cultures. And I, just speaking for myself, I have tried foods that knew that I had never heard of, had no relationship with and, and found them incredibly wonderful and things I wanted to dive into more. You know, that all moment I was telling you about flying over Palm Spring and so on, it really was uh, the start of my my wonder for the world to really look into people's lives and and just just to travel and so by the time that we started new I have traveled to more than 60 countries already and now wow and as I'm going through these different countries I I'm just fascinated by it you know I, I think like when you understand other people a bit better it really breaks down the prejudice it, I joke that I'm Aquarius so in some way I'm a big humanitarian you know so that's like a, a bridge building understanding you mm -hmm. know uh, and one of the best way to really break down you know um, barriers is through food and conversation and you know give people some drinks and, and they're having a good time yeah exactly yeah so it's always our intention to really help folks um, get to know a different culture and, you know, to, to break down some of the assumptions, right? 
because uh, we all like carry a certain prejudice uh, that we have without even realizing it. So going back to your question, it was very, very intentional. Even our communal table, uh, the way that people are seated is it is designed for folks to be talking to each other. Because, you know, you see how when we travel, it's just something just just like the wall comes down, right? And we Absolutely. become friendly to people, you know, whether you're at the resort or, you know, at some sort of uh, touristy site and so on, and you're standing right next to you, right next to you and you're like, you start a conversation. But when you're right. back home, it's a different vibe. And what we wanted to do was like create that I'm traveling mode, you know? I, I want to get to know the other person. And so... Um, so the communal table um, is meant for people to just strike conversations too. <clears throat> I've absolutely had that experience too at new because so often you see what other people are eating because they're sitting, you know, pretty close to you and you start talking about the food. Because, you know, if I haven't ordered yet, I see something that's really good. So I start talking to someone and then you do start finding all these other points of similarity. And we try to... Um, introduce people to food that are very common in that specific country of origin, but okay. not common in Seattle, so that uh, our customer can experience um, the culture, you know, uh, via the food, but also not make certain assumptions about the food too. You know, so for example, like mm -hmm. let's say Thai food or Indian food, there are certain type of cuisine that actually, uh, the specific cuisine with in that that culture that just make it to america and become really popular but that doesn't mean you know that's like the most popular in that specific country or let, let's just say brazilian food you know we think about brazilian steakhouses but if you talk to brazilian they'll be like we got a lot more things than steak it's not just steak right <laughs> Well, on our menu, we have the Brazilian karate, and um, and a lot of Brazilian would come for that, and they're very thankful that we have something like that here. You know, it kind of breaks down that stereotype of what Americans think of Brazilian food. Yeah. Right. So they're not just eating steak every meal. Yeah, yeah. So they get a taste of home, and we understand better our Brazilian friends and colleagues, and and. Yeah people in our lives yeah 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 and when did food start to play a big role in your life or has it always 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 but it plays uh, more in my life in in home setting like my mom was the eldest of 12 siblings and wow. so our house was um was always full of people my dad is uh one of 13 children in his side of the family wow oh uh, my parents were always hosting people, you know, and it wasn't anything like um, fancy hosting because our yeah. house was like an open door. And so we would have relatives coming over, you know, and eating dinner with us all the time. And when there, uh, there is a special occasion because our house wasn't all that big, we all would just sit on the floor. You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. my mom, uh, we cook a lot of stuff and I was her little helper. So, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. You know, she was an excellent cook, but for me, it was food always remind me of just family time and um, the openness that my, my parents had. And I honestly didn't realize how poor we were during that whole period because of just the, the, the way that my mom 
um, always make sure that, you know, we're fed properly, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Oh, so, so it's always been a big part of my life. Wow. That's awesome. So there was really a sense of abundance because there was all this beautiful food to eat, even though maybe there wasn't a lot of money. You didn't have to know about that. It was a, it was, it sounds like it was a pretty comforting childhood at that point. Oh yeah. No, I, my childhood is still the happiest uh, period of my life, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, as I got older, I realized that there was so much tragedy behind that period too, but my parents did a very good job of uh, sheltering us from it. Oh. Uh, and not like they were lying to us or anything. You know, for example, my father was in re-education camp for a while. And oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. There was just always a lot of love in, in the, the, the house and, yeah. and uh, joy and laughter. You know, I was a very playful kid. And I think I got to be very playful partly because there it's a safe environment. You know, that's how kids thrive. It's like give yeah. them a safe environment, give them, you know, a feeling of being loved. And then they just, you know sprout <laughs> they sprout yeah they sprout they sponge up everything around them and sprout yeah yeah, yeah. and you got to play and I mean I, I feel like a lot of uh, being a chef creating a restaurant is is about just really creative expression just to try things and see what works and see what people like and then try again I mean it's a it's a brave sort of creative um, output I mean it reminds me of putting something in an art museum but then if somebody doesn't really like it or people don't respond to it, you can take it back and tweak it and <laughs> try again. Uh, my business partners and, and, uh, and, and I, so there are three of us, you know, we work very closely together and I would say that we, we're, we try very hard on that front. And uh, for me, I attribute a lot of that quality that I learned to my parents, partly because, you know, in order to be creative, in order to just try all these different things, you actually have to have a very, very strong and healthy relationship with failure. And because if you don't, you beat yourself up and you just like, what did I do wrong? You know, but but that, that doesn't uh, um, create a sense of creativity. It doesn't create an entrepreneur spirit. So in order for you to have both of those, you really need to be okay with just like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's move on, you know? Yeah, not like attaching to, uh, it has to work. I have to keep trying, right? I'm a failure. Yeah. Exactly. You're just like, okay, that didn't work. Let's do another thing, you know? Try a different thing. I'm still a cool person. Yeah, yeah. And my parents were excellent at that. My dad has been an entrepreneur all his life. And I think I, I just watched him do it and, yeah. you know, just work and he'll move on to the next thing. And it's not one of these things where he leaves a lot of sleep over, you know, something that doesn't work. And, um, and yeah, so going back to what you said, we're very playful at our restaurant when it comes to our menu or just things that we tried. The pandemic really highlight a lot of that you know we were doing cocktail kit we were doing you know frozen popsicle you know you know frozen meals meal for two it's just like right. we did all kind of stuff and um and we just pivot and and do whatever it takes to survive so yeah <laughs> that must have been a quick pivot too I mean we I for me it felt really fast like we we heard that there was this you know respiratory disease I think initially was what they were calling it 
far, far away. And then, you know, pretty quickly it was right here. And, and as a, a as a, a, a partner in a restaurant, that must have been pretty scary because, you know, if people aren't coming to the restaurant, you still have to pay rent, you still have to pay staff. And it must have been a, a pretty scary moment. It was, you know, uh, I, so my, my actual training, uh, I have uh, a graduate degree in biomedical sciences. So when oh, this, wow, yeah. uh, the pandemic came about, I was tracking it prior to, I say most people, mainly because yeah. it was a fascinating thing for me, you know, and I started reading about the flu pandemic back in the days and, and trying to, I even wrote a uh, a blog post about it, you know, on oh, how. Oh, cool! The, yeah. And so, in some way, um, it helped me sort of like take the right step towards what we need to do. And you know, frankly, it also helped me plan things out for the longer term. I was uh, definitely not one of those people that is like, okay, this would be over in three months or three weeks to be able to look back, to, you know, in a historic context. Uh, historical context and see the trend before you know and I, I was like right. I don't see why the trend would be changing you know and uh, uh, so so anyhow it was definitely scary and because we were the first epicenter for um, COVID in the U.S. side at least you know right. I also got a lot of calls from other restaurants from around the country asking like what are you doing you know are you using to go bags are you wiping down everything you know? right how are you adapting how should we adapt yeah are you laying off staff yet you know what are you what are you doing right. um yeah it was fascinating time it really was it was like the most creative period of our restaurant life i would say you know nothing uh pushes creativity like necessity <laughs> right <laughs> right and what do people want during this funny period I mean I feel like we were all so panicked and it probably changed I don't know did you think it changed what people wanted to order at a restaurant did people want more like comfort food or were people still pretty adventurous or yeah, I, I would say the comfort food is, is still very much a thing, you know. Uh, but what we noticed where, is that our um, theme of serving food from around the world became something that was really, really advantageous for us. Because, again, during this period, people were not even leaving the house, you know. Yeah. After one or two weeks of that, you just get itchy, right? You you crave new experiences. You mm -hmm. crave different culture. You crave just something different. And so uh, so one of the things that we started was basically meal for two with a theme of a different country uh, each week. And oh, good idea. Yeah. They loved it. And what we did, too, was that um, we created music playlists that actually fit into that specific country and then make cocktail kits that, you know, go along with that so they can purchase it and so on. And that was a way for people to be transported. That's <laughs> such a good idea. So you could sort of have a night in Senegal or a night in, you know, Paris or something, but you're still safe and sound in your apartment, but you get, but you get some sense of a vacation. I think we were so hungry for that. And, you know, your restaurant new is, located in Capitol Hill. So there's a lot more density than in most parts of Seattle. And a lot of people live in apartments and condos and, and don't have a lot of personal space. So um, so I imagine that 
you know, for people who were really cooped up during the pandemic, having a chance to eat like some really unusual, interesting, exciting food was probably pretty precious. Yeah, we definitely saw that. But, you know, we also saw some of the, the hardship of um, of just being in Capitol Hill, because remember, this was all the where all the protests happened during this time. I was really busy, <laughs> so I wasn't keeping up with like um, a lot of things in the news. Um, I wasn't aware of a lot of, of things unless I was searching on the Internet. But <laughs> one day I just got so many phone calls from friends or messages and so on. They're like, are you OK? And I was like, I'm OK. what's going on? You know? Yeah, you know more than I do, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your friends are out of town. Battle is burning and, you know, and all that. And so uh, there's a certain news channel that make it seem like, you know, Seattle was going through this warfare and uh, um, around the corner from us. Essentially, that led to a lot of people not wanting to come anywhere close to new. Oh, and, dear. Yeah. You know, our sales dropped substantially. And oh, yeah. So just to catch up people who live out of town and might not watch uh, a lot of a lot of uh, national news. So so after the, the shooting in Ferguson, there were Black Lives Matter protests in Seattle, which be, and, and sort of the hub of those protests was near your restaurant, was near new. Sort of like a, the Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street, but it was like a Occupy sort of the epicenter of this very vibrant neighborhood in Seattle called Capitol Hill. This, and and people camped out and there was a lot of mutual aid and teach-ins. And I went to some really cool teach-ins down there. So it was a strange period, you know, because I walked, um, <clears throat> so a lot of what was happening <clears throat> was on uh, the Pike, uh, Pine Street um, and right on Anderson Park, you know, and we're only a block and a half from all of that. And so I, I walked it pretty much every day. Uh, one, I wanted to get a feel of what was going on in the neighborhood. And you know, honestly, I just needed to walk. You know? Yeah, to get out of the house. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you would see, you know, so many people in military uniform with like crazy guns that we didn't understand why, why they needed so much of, you know, machineries that can actually... Right kill you folks, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Military grade weapons. And then a block away. I mean, I remember I was at Rachel's ginger beer one day, like having a drink outside and it was lovely and sunny. And, and then, you know, a few blocks away, there were like these police car tanker things driving down the street. It was really surreal. Um, yeah. It felt like the, the, the reaction to the potential of violence was so out of step with the reality that was, that was happening in the neighborhood. Yeah, it was a very rough period for for that neighborhood, you know, and and we still feel the consequences now. Uh, we had our fourth break in uh, new within a one year period, and one of the fallout of of that whole chop cast experience was that I see it from our neighbors where they would say that they would try to call the police for help, but the police never responded. You know, when we call the police for these break in, it just there's no, there's no help whatsoever you know no in many ways um the restaurant really uh turned me into more of an advocate for the working class you know for the poor yeah. and you know it helped me to understand some of the struggles that some of my staff would go through like oh, I sure. literally came to the states with no money you know so it's not like I don't know what being poor is like but right. 
you know, after a while, when you work for whether it's Amazon or, you know, some of these other type of companies I used to work for and your colleagues would complain about their $30,000 or $50,000 signing bonus is not being okay. enough. You, you lose touch with reality, honestly, yeah. you know? Yeah. And when I switched over to starting new and new was doing very well. Um, and our customer would tell us like, why don't you open for late night, you know, and we thought about opening for late night. And then when I was looking into the logistic of it, realized that a lot of our staff cannot oh. stay late night because public transportation basically shut down by 1 a.m. There are a lot of people in Capitol Hill who are unhoused, and I'm sure that probably has an impact on your business as well. I mean, Seattle is um, unfortunately becoming more and more famous as a place that is not um, not finding resources for unhoused people or not providing resources. Yeah, no, we definitely see that. <clears throat> you know, we have this outdoor patio. Folks yeah. would have to uh, would use it for sleeping and so on. And yeah. And it's a cover tent. So, you know, at least they're shielded from the rain or the snow. And so right. Wind, yeah. you definitely see. Uh, but at the same time, um, it's been good that um, the pandemic has forced a lot of businesses and also people to be outside. Because I think that us having to be outside and have outdoor patio spaces or folks are dining outdoor, it makes you not just shut off the world and just go into inside and just ignore all these problems. Yeah, I think that that did, you know, us all spending more time outside during the pandemic did make us more aware of the people who who aren't housed or who are or, uh, who, who don't have consistent housing. Uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a poem or a wisdom story, a, a religious story that really um, help, could help us understand how you find all in your life? I think for me, <clears throat> to find all is, it's not a hard task, but it could be a hard task. Meaning that I think that I, heaven is right here on earth. I, I really do. I, I think there's so much beauty in nature, in people, in all of that. And for us to be able to really see it though, you know? Yeah. Be the hard part because sometimes we're so preoccupied with things and or we live in so much regret or we, we doubt our decision we we're always thinking about what if or where you know our mind is is very much lost in and so going back to what you mentioned before about mindfulness and so you know part of it is mindfulness but how to even get to the mindfulness part you know is when you really get to the point where your mind is just not doing all these these little tricks on you. And so for me, <clears throat> when I think about your question, one of the things that really, really helped me was actually something, a pact that I made with myself when I was younger. So my brother and I, we came to the States as unaccompanied minors. So we didn't have oh. our parents, you know? And so <laughs> what that meant was that I didn't really have much adult guidance. My older brother is only five years older than me. And oh, they were... They were yeah, there were many periods of my life when I was like, my, he's my big brother. But now when I look back at it, he was 21 and I was 16 when we went and live on our own, you know? So we were just wow. kids. And yeah. we were clueless in many, many things. And uh, 
you know, needless to say, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, like, you know, there, there's this one woman that gave me a job for $300 a month. And oh, no. all kind of stuff for her. You know, I was so naive and we were just so broke that I agreed to it. But I was like, boy, I really got taken advantage there, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, um, going back to, to the main point of this is that eventually I learned to to not beat myself up so much, you know, mm. and not sit there and think about like what could I have done and all of that and really realize that, you know, I am a decently smart girl and um, I I think of all those time, I was like, you know, you made the best decision that you know how to, you know? Absolutely. How, how literally you know. And so, um, <clears throat> so uh, going, uh, and, and there's a poem specifically that really helped me to, to sort of clarify that thought. And okay. it's the, the Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Have yeah. you, you know, of that poem where it's like two roads diverge on the yellow woods. Sorry, I could not travel both. And, you know, um, yeah. uh, and I can recite more. But basically, I, I actually even recite the the poem when I was interviewed for, for Berkeley Business School. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, do you have any regrets? And I was like, no, <laughs> I do not. Yeah. <laughs> I look at me like I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like a total, you know, know it all snob. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> there's a reason for this. But anyhow, uh, because of that poem and just the, this pact that I made with myself, it really helped me to stay in the moment a bit more, you know, to not live with too many regrets and to not live with too many what if and so forth and so that allows a space for more just living in the present and just seeing um the alls and the wonder of life and you know that's awesome that's awesome I really love that thank you thank you well I'm so grateful that you came on the po uh, podcast you and uh and it's been great to get to know you better thank you yeah it's really great talking with you Thank you for having me on here. This is Yoon's poem uh, by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though, as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference.
Thanks for listening to All in All. New episodes drop every Sunday morning. So come on back and see us. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe. All in All is a production of Punk Dog Studios. And the music is by Thomas Landis. Host is Kate Landis.